G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at reedgoosens.com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Because everything for me now, I'm scaling down to profit up. Like I'm making like way more profit by doing less. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with Michael Green. Michael is a successful house flipper and the host of the Flip Factor podcast. Michael believes that the key to success in the house flipping industry is being open to investing in personal growth and seeing the potential in something that is a little bit broken down or a little bit rough around the edges. This includes seeing the potential in one's self. 
Michael and his team have flipped over 1,100 houses in the past 10 years, and he's most fulfilled when he's helping others achieve and learn about real estate flipping to achieve financial freedom. Mind Michael isn't working on developing his business. He can, he can be found traveling, attempting to surf, and learning how to hike. Uh, really pumped and excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for inviting me on, man. Very excited to be here. Mate, my pleasure. Uh, first question, cab off the rank, I always ask my guest is, uh, rewind the clock. How did you made your, make your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh, as a kid, dude, I think I was an entrepreneur from day one. And it wasn't <laughs> good because I grew up in a bad neighborhood. So I didn't have great role models of how to do things legally. So almost everything I ever got into was stuff that got me kicked out of school, got me in trouble with the law, trouble with my parents. Uh, so my first dollars as a kid, I was buying like firecrackers, like packs of firecrackers, and I was selling them individually. And this is like fifth grade or sixth grade, right? So I'm like literally taking like a dollar, paying like two bucks a pack and selling for like seven. And of course, the school caught me and suspended me for like three days. And uh, and that was like the first time I got suspended of many times. And I was selling switchblades one time. So it was always like bad news, man. Not the best business stuff. But uh, and so I had an entrepreneurial spirit for years. But like most of us I had to get a job because, you know, selling switchblades was not something that was a very consistent. So I got into work with my stepfather when I was around like 21 and I uh, doing flooring, you know, hardwood flooring probably worst jobs I think you could have. It's a uh, great living, but it's just no fun. It's very boring. And it definitely doesn't help me when I, I want to do a lot of different things, grow and run a business. And uh, as I was about 30 years old, uh, I met someone when I was doing flooring for him who was flipping a house. And that was how I got into it. Cause he was like, Hey, come to this free seminar, uh, which wasn't all that common 10 years ago. And that's when I got in mm. 10 years ago. Now these days I feel like there's one every week, but back then there was like this one little dude in town who's like not the greatest dude, but he was really good at like marketing, doing a lot of what people do today, 10 years ago. So, you know, it was really great back then. Uh, it was pretty progressive. And uh, he ended up coaching me. I spent 15 K with him, which at that time, I think I'd probably spent 500 hours on my education in my life. Uh, so this was a huge, huge jump. Uh, he taught me how to take like six of my credit cards and max it out. I was literally paying with money I didn't have, but um, I knew he could teach me because I like six years I'd been reading books and dreaming about it, like watching flipping shows and reading books and just going nowhere with it. And uh, when I did hire him, I ended up making 16 K on a wholesale deal within like eight weeks. And I gave him the 15 K I owed him because I had to get those credit cards paid off. I wasn't sure how I was going to pay them, but you know, there are a lot of, I didn't know if I actually had the money to pay him. I was just jumping out there, which is not like me. You told me you were a structural engineer before, right? Or an engineer. Uh, I'm yep. kind of nerdy like that too. I'm very systems based. I love like nerdy calculating things. So I was really to see me make that kind of jump, man, that wasn't an easy jump. I mean, everyone's like, well, that was a big risk, but I was like, yeah, it took me six years to get the courage up to take it. And everything it was like that perfect storm. Everything just comes together. The books I read and this guy just you know said the right things to me. I was like, let's do it, man. And I'm glad I made the choice because I just had never did anything like that in my life before. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's such an interesting, um, you know, you're working in flooring, just, you know, he sounds just, just doing, doing, you know, making, making, uh, making some dollars and to keep the roof over your head. And then, but knowing that you had more to give with inside of yourself, right? Like, and it just, I I was the same way. Like I I got into the workforce and corporate Australia, but now America. And I was like, God, this can't be what I'm doing for the next 40 years of my life. I've got more to give. And it sounds like you had something very similar. What was that itch inside of you that wanted to take that next step and that level up? 
yeah, I, like I said, I think it's the entrepreneurial spirit because I mean, look, I didn't want to sell switchblades or firecrackers. It's just what I've seen as an opportunity. And uh, through my life, I loved like being able to make my own choices, grow and strategically think. I think personally, I love strategically thinking and business gives you a great every day. You have to be on your, your strategic brain. It's a chess game. Right. We mm -hmm. always have to think multiple steps ahead. We have to always um, not just think about our business, but how our personal interactions with ourselves and how that affects the business. There's just so much stuff that goes on in order to be a great flipper, or a great apartment investor. Really, almost anything you do, if you go to that level of mastery, it's usually self mastery along with mastering that also that like that skill. So a lot of times people are like teach me how to flip. And I'm like, man, most of the work's with you. Like most people like Honestly, I have coaches today and my coach doesn't teach me how to flip. I mean, he's working on me, not sabotaging me, right? Because <laughs> I'm my biggest competitor right now. <laughs> so, mate, with all that being said, getting involved in the house flipping game, I've done, actually, I've flipped a few houses in Philadelphia when I was living on the East Coast. How is the, uh, how's the, the landscape changing in the last 10 years and, and has it become easier, harder? Like, what are you doing? What, what's your niche in terms of what you are flipping? Because I know house flipping does get a bit of a bad rap and, oh, it's the most risky and blah, blah, blah. But for the people who actually know how to do it properly, it, you, can be, you can create an incredible systemized business out of the entire thing that's going to be recession-proof for many years to come, right? hundred percent. I mean, I think, um, I think things are risky when you're not knowledgeable around them. Obviously when you read six years worth of books, my first rehab went pretty well because I don't know if I could have been more prepared. I, I was absolutely with a coach, a mentor in reading all the books and I was ready to roll when I got in. I was no, I, even though I was, I was a newbie on paper, I wasn't actually a newbie. I knew a lot. So I've always felt like I've been a little ahead of the game because I like to study and research. So as people, I mean, I know people flipping 20 years and I'm like blowing their mind. They're like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, well, cause I'm in the books. I'm reading them and I do that naturally. And I think if you don't do it naturally, then you have to train yourself to do that. Where I've seen things shift in say like the last three to four years is it's went from being a seller's market, you know, like really, I mean, it's actually went from a buyer's market to a seller's market, like a super hot seller's market. So I've had to shift everything in my business. I've really had to take things to, let's just say for many years I was doing it at level six and it was working pretty well. And I call that kind of like caveman flipping for years. I was just doing what the gurus taught me and you know, basic stuff, nothing impressive. I just was concerned consistent with it. And that's how I made a living. I found about three or four years ago that caveman flipping stuff didn't work anymore because there was so many people that I had to really start. I think you always have to just be like one step out of your competitors. And every year you're in this game, like the competition gets better. There's more great coaches out there. There's people sharing now. Like we didn't have a sharing community of people that are willing to be very transparent and give great content. Uh, we do these days, right? That that access to content has actually risen, or you know, is you know, risen up the level of competition. So if you're not really learning based and growth based, uh, I don't think it's easy to be a flipper these days or an apartment investor, a landlord. I mean, anything, right? You have to come and bring your A game with this stuff. And, and so, so specifically, what were you doing to try and level up to 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 stand out from the noise? Mm -hmm. So two things really are important for me and if, as a flipper, and these, these kind of are relevant to almost everything we do, but acquisitions, buying properties, and then being able to get people to renovate them for me. If I'm nailing both of those and I'm like bringing it like level 10 to like acquisitions, how I talk to sellers, everything that I do. So step one I'll walk through is like for me is I, I started going from like three years ago where I was using all, all the sales techniques that I had learned from all these sales guys telling me how you like do this and do that. And it worked by the way, but it never felt great. Like I always felt like in my heart, like it wasn't totally the, the best way. 
it didn't feel natural. Like I had to learn to be someone different than I actually was. I changed about three years to go to what I call anti-selling, which was really just having not natural conversations, really building rapport with people, taking a whole different approach to our interactions. And I, my appointment used to be 30 minutes. Now they're averaging two hours. I'm really wow. getting to know people. And, and now I don't go and see every random person that calls me. I really start to filter down to what I call five-star prospects. But when I go out and sit with a five-star prospect, someone who has equity, has motivation, has a house that needs renovation so I can bring some value to them, uh, I'm out there for like the, I'm all in essentially. And right? I'm going out there and I'm going to make sure that they're either like do business with me or they're just like communicating through me to do business with someone else. Like Mike, look, here's where this other person is. I really want to work with you. You know, like, is there anything you could do to get there? Like as long as I can do any of those, like where they're coming through me or coming at me and let me take that deal down, then, um, I've done what I need to do there. Right. And I'm building high levels of trust because I'm giving trust. I'm not being untrustworthy. Right. I'm really, I'm truly like going there with the intention of helping them, but obviously I have to make profit. So we're always striking that fine balance. And uh, so I made a big shift three years ago and that's actually separated me from my competitors in a big way on the buying side. Cause I'm able to go and look at right now. I, I was one in 23 with leads. I get one deal out of 23 leads uh, three years ago. I'm down to one in eight now. So, wow which is good since everything's like double the price these days. So you got to really make the most out of it. So you really think about our shift in the business and what's changed is, you know, you could send out a thousand dollars of mailers, uh, really simple stuff like that. And you would get X amount of phone calls. Now you're getting about a third of that, those phone calls now. So I looked at it like, well, I have more time. So let me dig deeper into those and make more from it. So I'm actually, I have a higher conversion rate today than I did three years ago, even though it was a uh, much less competitive three years ago. So, so just take us back a little bit and walk us through the steps of that first, you know, six maxing out six credit cards and putting <laughs> putting everything up. And I remember when I did my first flip, I had the twenty thousand dollars at Home Depot credit card line to try and get all the materials. But how have you? What have been the steps to to, to systemize along the way, like from that first deal to get to eleven hundred houses flipped in ten years? That's that's pretty incredible. So first step, obviously, was getting great at finding properties. I really, I spent my first year in the business working under that mentor. I owned an auction company. He was an old school dude. I've been doing it 30 years. He gave me all the grimy tactics. So I learned all the stuff not to do, but also some really cool things to do. So I kind of just took the things I felt comfortable with that were ethical and honest and that could keep doing and not, you know, be able to sleep at night. But also I learned a lot of ways of not getting taken advantage of because I see how he took advantage of people. So he, he taught me inadvertently some things, not on purpose, but as I got great at finding deals, then, you know, from there, like that's the engine of the business, right? That's how you can start scaling and doing more. Uh, for me, I had no money. So, you know, I had that 15 K. So my first deal I did, I did with a partner. Um, it didn't work. It worked out as far as we made money, but the partnership didn't work out. So from there I'd done a deal. And while I was under that mentor, I met my partner who I ended up doing 600 deals with. And he had about seven, 800,000 bucks at the time. So he was able to like, he was like, dude, let's do this like at a bigger level together. And we ended up working together for seven years. And, uh, and that's how I got, I've really racked a lot of numbers up with him because at our high point, we were doing about 150 houses a year and started really just doing like our 10 a year and nailing those 10. 
right? And we could nail 10 a year and do those really well, like get our systems together, get the right people in place. Then it was easy to go to 20. And we got the 30, we're like, holy crap, new problems. And we had to keep solving them. But we had a process for solving the, the roadblocks we ran into as we were growing. And everything was just like this great model, right? You take a model of like doing 10 a year and making 200K, let's say. And I like adding 200K after maybe getting some help and some marketing and all that. And uh, then we're just like, all right, cool. Let's double our income and go to 20, 30, 40. Now what we've seen as we scale it up, and it's one of the reasons I've scaled back down later in the game now, last three years since I've been on my own, is we've seen that there's this law of diminishing returns as we got to 150. For whatever reason, it wasn't coming in like when it was 10. We kept like taking our profit margin and shrinking them down, shrinking them down. And we were just running this big beast. And uh, so me and him decided to sell the, I sold my part of the company to him and we both are running like very small businesses now in comparison to our old one. And uh, like last year I did 71, but this year I'm on track to do half of that and make the same money. Because everything for me now, I'm scaling down to profit up. Like I'm making like way more profit by doing less. I love that. Scaling down to profit up. Like that's such a, that's nearly like the opposite, you know, of what people are teaching these days. Like scale, scale, scale. Like you got to scale. You got to systemize. You got to build this beast. <laughs> but then you're, it, it's fascinating that you've gone from doing a hundred, what, 100, 200 unit, uh, let's keep saying units, houses a year to now scaling back to in order to receive more profit. So that's an interesting mind shift change. And not a lot of people have been talking about that. And I have not actually talked to a house flipper on this show yet who's even spoken about that. It's all about build the systems, get the teams, get the you know sales funnel, start the brokerage company. And you sort of got, you know, from, from wholesaling to flipping to GC to brokerage, you know, this ecosystem of businesses that is sort of like pots on the stove, everything's boiling <laughs> or spinning plates. And it's like, it could all come crashing down at one stage. And we're told as entrepreneurs, particularly in today, ecosystems are stabilizes businesses because the more you, you diversify your risk across a number of different businesses, you profit from different, you know, you have different income streams. So to scale down, are you shutting any of your businesses out that maybe you had, you know, you had your finger in before? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I read a book called The One Thing, Gary Keller. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard yep. of it. It's a great book. Yes. Uh, I read it like three times to get the concept, obviously, because I'm I'm ADD by nature. So I want to run 75 businesses at once. I love that kind of interaction. <laughs> but I also realized that was I was sabotaging myself, right? I had a coach who was really helping me get in tune with like my own behaviors that weren't helping me. They weren't serving me well. One of those was wanting to run a lot of different businesses. So where I'm at today, like, uh, so this year and just say the first six months of this year, I'm actually already have made what I made the biggest year when I've done 150 and I'm at 20 houses this year. So I literally am making like more money doing less. And what the shift that he helped me with was I was focusing on volume because we all do. And it's kind of this ego thing. When somebody hears I did 150 houses, it was definitely feeding my ego. Like, dude, that's awesome. I want to hear more about that. And uh, what he really started getting me to think about was profit. He's like, the purpose of a business isn't to do more. It's to make more. And he's like, mm. why do you have to do more when you probably can make the same doing half? So he challenged me, but also doing 150 houses a year, I was working 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. Now I'm doing less houses, making the same money, if not more. And uh, we're only working like 15 hours a week. The business is, it is still systems by the way, but the system is focused on profit and margins, right? Increasing margins, not volume. So often by lowering volume, 
right? Taking the volume down, but increasing margins, then profit skyrockets up because now we're cutting expenses, we're cutting hours we have to work. And it's really forcing us to focus on our highest money paying activities. You know, there's some things we do, we make like a thousand bucks an hour. And there's some things we do where we make 30 bucks an hour. And it's really starting to eliminate those $30 hour things. I know for many years, I always had the belief like, we'll just hire someone to do a $30 an hour thing. Now I'm kind of like, let's eliminate it and see if it's even needed. Because to be honest, Mm. most of the time, it's something we think we need. But really, I started just letting that stuff go and realize like, dude, my business is still doing good. Like I didn't even need half that stuff. So did you start changing the product in which you're flipping? Like I, I would assume to do 150 houses a year, you'd be, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of 50 to 200,000 sort of range. Are you now upping it to, you know, 250 to 500? Like, is it just because it's a, it's a nicer house, it's a nicer location, the, the, the land's worth more, so hence you get more profit? So average when I was doing a bunch is the same average as when I do less, uh, no different there. What I did what I am doing different is I'm putting more energy and time in each house. So there's less things falling through the cracks. So mm-hmm. now where I used to kind of have to run through things because there's so much going on. And I just always, always, like you said, just trying to keep things together, right? You're always just like trying to make it happen. Uh, so a lot of things got missed, right? The layout would be a seven out of 10. Now I make sure the layouts on my house are 10 out of 10. I do research. I'm looking at it. I still personally do that. My 15 hours a week is a couple things. And these are the couple things I hold on to and don't ever plan getting rid of. I enjoy doing them number one. One is I like looking and senior reviewing and strategizing, trying to get the deals done. But I let other people get all the work and package up the best things to me, which I call the five-star prospects. So I don't have to spend a lot of my time on it. But I don't mind going and sitting in with a seller. If I'm going to two a week and I'm closing like 80% of those because they're, they've been weeded down to the best people to sit in front of, I don't mind doing that. I'm really good at it after a lot of years of experience. And the second thing is, is really just like the planning of the rehab. So meaning like, okay, what is the most optimal layout? So me, I have another, my girlfriend who works with me, who just came in, she's really good at the design and my project manager, who's done a lot of houses with me. We're as a team, like really looking at that layout to say like, wait a minute, where, where can we bring value? And uh, mm-hmm. we might spend a couple hours on it, but for many years, I wasn't spending those hours. And now that those couple hours are paying off big time because what's happening is when people come through my houses, I'm starting to see not just do they go for full price, they're starting to go over full price. They're starting to create this emotional effect where now I'm not getting people logically buying my homes. Because even that logical brain, they're looking at like, oh, things sell for 230. This is well done. And this looks like other rehabs. Now they're just like, baby, I got to have it. And now, and then they start multiple offering and then you get that environment going, that ecosystem where people just go crazy and they start getting that frenzy. And next thing you know, I'm getting 30 K over list. And that's a game changer for me. Like I just had a deal recently where we got like three offers on it and like seven days. And I got one person put a 30 K higher escalation clause. I got them to take it off and give me 30 K more. My deal went from a 40 K deal to a 70 K deal. But that happened for one reason only because we put a lot of time into the, the layout of it, the design of it. So every house gets a layout design, it's well-researched, and it gets a design package of like, where are we going to bring value and make our house like really stand out emotionally? Not just, you know, you know, we always need the kitchen and everything, but this is like, what do I do to make people go crazy and be like, oh, that's the, that's the s'mores house, you know, because we put some s'mores out. Oh, that's the house of the beautiful master. It almost, I feel like if our houses don't have a name, then we didn't do a great job. 
You know, you know, it has to have something individual about it because we have a lot of competition. There's other rehabbers out there now. We can't be like everyone else. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info info at reedgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Now, back into the show. That's interesting that you've looked at the design aspect of it. Obviously, myself being in uh, around architects for many years, I still am around architects a lot, but, but being a structural engineer into um, my own business, it's design is so important. And, and, and having a, you know, particularly when you're taking an old, call it box, <laughs> which is what you're taking, and trying to put your spin on it. And so moving walls, shifting walls, you know, t- putting in a, a skylight or putting in a bigger window, just something that creates a wow factor in and around design because it is timeless and it is something that people are going to, it's going to turn heads as they walk past or, you know, it, it's really important, I think. And, and, and it's interesting that you've, you've nailed on what people love, which is the design aspect of it, to then bring it to everything you do and, and, and change your motto about the, the way in which you, you, you run your business, which I think is for anyone listening out there, so so important because you're doubling down on something that is maybe you were just, oh, I've got a spec book and this is what the spec book says because my coach said it and uh, let's just go off and put that crappy backsplash in and, you know, you know this crappy, what are the oak cabinets? I remember like years ago walking around LA flipped houses and it was all those, the same freaking those little tiny tiles and like these little peel and stick and then you put the grout in and like everyone looked the same. I was like, this is disgusting. And I know that you've gone to some real estate training course on the weekend to flip this house. <laughs> but, uh, but I digress. It's, it's, it's awesome that you've, um, you've evolved and, and started to take more pride in your work. So with that being said, Give me a ballpark figure because I know probably some people walking around, uh, you know, looking at houses. What, you know, what's it cost to, to demo a wall and open up the kitchen and take down some cabinets? And it's probably not a lot in terms of if, when you're getting thirty, forty thousand dollar offers over asking, right? Yeah. So, oh, I love what you're asking. So let me make sure I'm answering the right question. How much more am I putting in to do these extra, what I call like swollen yeah. features? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so like knocking down a cabinet or extending yeah. the, the countertop or, 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 or removing the wall between the kitchen and, and the living room. Cause I know that's like these old houses, they, that's such a common thing that I didn't think about it back when they built it in the fifties or sixties. What does that cost you? You know, you can walk around a house and go, oh, that wall is going to cost me 2000 bucks to remove or 500 bucks to remove. Like what, what can you can put numbers to this as you walk in houses now, right? hundred percent. So I would say on average, it's costing anywhere from three to $7,000 to take the house from like a six to like a 10. And at mm. a 10, first of all, at a 10, it probably is just going to sell for 10K more, even if we don't get that crazy emotional event. But we also create upside. Every one, one out of five houses will go for 20 to 30K more. And uh, that goes into my average and really affects my total average. So by spending that, I'm getting a two to three times return on that five to 7,000. I'm also creating a very consistent model that I can repeat and rely on. So what I've found since I've, it's been three years, I've been really kind of push hard on this stuff. Last three years, I've done about 125 houses. Uh, I've had one house go over 30 days on the market and I've only had three price reductions. So literally I've, I've now have a business that I can count on. Because I think that's the hardest part of being a house flipper. When you're not getting everything right, you can still make money 
but it's stressful. People never talk about the stress of like your market house being on the market for 45 days and you got two or three going, you're tapped out. Uh, no one ever talks about that, but that's the stuff that keeps people up at night and has certainly kept me up at night. And uh, so I wanted to really find a way to get rid of that. And I've realized through pricing correctly, designing it really well, and uh, just really nailing it, buying it right. So I had the money to do that. Uh, really checking all the boxes, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've done a lot of houses and I, I was able to go back and look at like three or 400 homes and see what the top 10% best performers were and then realize what the common denominators and then just start really doing those over and over and, uh, and starting to eliminate the 90% that really were dragging my profits down. And uh, at that's first, that's why I do less now because I only get less, you know, and I can't do 150 a year of what I call really high level deals, but I don't need to, which is the cool thing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. And do you so back to that question of of business ecosystems, what are you doing yourself in your business? What have you hired internally and what are you still outsourcing? So you talked about marketing, right? I'm I'm assuming that's in-house. What about like the GC and the brokerage stuff? Are you keeping that in-house or are you going third party? So I have my realtor's license uh, and what I've done is I've hired my mom who always wanted to be a realtor and she's doing the 90% of the job. So mom, if you're listening, I know you're doing all the work, uh, <laughs> but I, I get to do 10%. The 10% I like is the negotiation. Uh, I can be combative. Like, so if some, somebody wants to fight and negotiate hard, I don't mind doing that. My mom, that's a little stressful for her. So she's like, no, you take care of this. So essentially what I'm doing is uh, I basically have her doing that. I pay her like 1500 bucks a house. She handles everything. I literally do like a phone call or two a week just trying to get the final things put together and make sure we're pushing to get every dollar because I, I take very aggressive tactics to get 30k over there's a whole system to it i mean it's super cool because most people are just like oh i thought you just sell it now i have a complete system like of how i get i use, ask for highest and best sometimes four and five times and there's a way to do that without causing people to go nuclear and you know go crazy because we have to be able to ask for that money but not offend people and there's a, mm. that fine line. So I still do that because I, I've realized and I understand exactly where that is and how to do it. And I don't want to spend my mom's sick in her 60s, so I don't want to spend 10 years teaching her because uh, there's no reason. I actually just enjoy doing it. I also do the design piece and I like I do the, the most important part of the acquisitions, which is more like the senior review of the deals before they come in. And uh, if those three things, if I spend 15 to 20 hours a week doing those three things, my business is really consistent. And I don't like, I don't know, five hours a day of doing that or four hours a day of doing something you love. I, I totally, my brain right now at 43, feel like I could do that the rest of my life. I don't even, I'm not even thinking of retirement. I think if you, mm. you love retirement, it's just something people do when they have a job they hate. There has to be something. But if you love what you're doing, then why, you know, as long as I'm lucid, I'll be doing this the rest of my life is my belief. It's interesting that... <clears throat> Being a house flipper, you're the second house flipper I think I've interviewed on this show. Uh, I've done like nearly 200 shows now. I've only interviewed a handful of them, but you also, sounds like you don't have the general contracting in-house. You outsource that. Is that right? Oh, great question. No, I do have it in-house. So oh, you do have it in. Okay. Question. Um, I've struggled and this could be different in LA because I've talked to some people in LA and it's a little bit different. You guys are really strict rules there as far as like general contracting and everything. It's a little bit looser in Maryland. Uh, uh, so I am, I have got my license which means nothing because uh, you don't need it as a homeowner in Maryland. You can pull your own permits and all that if you're doing your own house. And I work and I actually use all subcontractors and I have a project manager who works for me and he kind of just organizes everyone. I, I like doing that because for me, some of the biggest risk is when somebody's like, hey, you're doing a 50K house, I need 10K to start. Um, I feel like that's the biggest risk in the game and I've always been trying to take away the risk of being ripped off. And also I think it's pretty confusing when you look at like a whole scope of work and there's like all these projects and they come to you and are like, hey, read, um, 
you know, we got 30% done and you go look at it and it's like, it kind of looks like 30%, at least I hope. So I take and line item everything out. Like, like I start with demo and it's like demo, $1,000. They get done, I give them $1,000. They do the next mm -hmm. thing, maybe waterproofing. You know, 3,000, give them the 3,000. So for me, this is how I protect myself. And when you're doing a lot of volume, it really, like having all that money out could be huge risk. So this, we found that like uh, when we were using GCs, we were getting kind of ripped off for like 100K mm -hmm. a year almost. You know, doing 100, 100 plus houses a year though. But uh, when we switched to doing this where we control everything, our prices went down, number one, but we gained control, which was the big thing. And I think the following year, we got ripped off for 10K huge difference. So having that kind of, it wasn't really about the 90K either. It was really more about us having control over the workers. Um, GCs, we also found it like, uh, so when you're smaller and you got one GC doing a couple houses at a time for you, you know, like people burn out, people have bad weeks, people don't always stay in the right emotional state and uh, your business can go out of business with them. You could be in a really bad spot with them. Not easy to find a great GC to come jump in and take over someone's work. So by having all these different subs, no one person really affects my business. So it's really how I'm diversifying my portfolio of people so I can keep this this thing going for a very long time. That's awesome. No, I, I when I did my couple of flips in Philadelphia, uh, had issues with the general had issues with the general contractor, and uh, I'd been negotiating with general contractors for many many years. But when you you talk about the holding uh, a little bit a little while ago in the, in the interview where we, it ended up going longer than what the project should have taken and that that just that's not necessarily days on market it just means that I'm not selling it you know, when we finally did get to market it was priced right and it was sold within 30 days but it was that extension of the schedule I had to bring someone else in they didn't get the right inspections I had to you know bring an electrician in to, to recertify the work the HVAC work the plumbing work no one wants to touch that thing with a 10-foot pole and it comes down to what I really learned was negotiating skills uh, but just someone, just not the right general contractor, and it, going back to emotions and stealing, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, like those sort of things that happen. And it was an experience uh, and a half that I was uh, really glad I'm not now flipping the game anymore because it got it got to the point where it was like just too much. And, it, it, and to your point, a lot of emotions were in it, and uh, things people can can lose, not lose their shirt, but they don't profit. I don't profit, so. Um, yeah, trying to nullify that is a, is a really important aspect of any business and, and, and the, the piece of control. Like I'm sure you're still subbing out to the drywaller. You're going out to the framer. You're going out to the roofer. You're going out to the guys doing the um, the waterproofing, right? But you're just you're, you're sort of the, the, the umbrella that everything funnels through you. So you're what's called the general contractor. You take a little fee and uh, you get the job done on time, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's really, it's such a powerful subject and it's meaningful to your listeners because obviously they're going to be repairing rentals and multi-units. So this is a real thing for them. It's uh, one of my areas of specialty is this. I mean, I've right now in the last like five years since I've switched up to this where I control everything, like I'm on budget and on time schedule, which is really hard to find. Uh, I was part of like this really big group, this eight figure group where all guys make like a million dollars a year, house flippers. Uh, and there was no one in the group, but one other dude, this guy, Don Costa, he's the only other guy in the group. I heard him, pretty cool guy. He's the only one having any success with contractors. He was doing the same thing as me. Everyone else was trying to deal with GCs and they're having GC problems. And inherently, when you think about a GC, it's they, you know, they're trying to run their business and make profit. Um, you have, you're not the leader, they are. So obviously they're going to lead and do things that are conducive for them. Uh, when I start taking and I bring in people, then I'm the leader and I, I'm going to help them make money, make sure they're making great money, they're doing well. 
but also on my terms and through my systems. And I, so I'm not managing people. I'm just managing processes that I've created. And they, I just look and see if the process is working. And what I do a little bit differently is I'll bring in like one crew of three to four people and they'll do a lot of things, but they start with a few and they build trust. And then if I see they do a great job, next thing you know, they'll do like all the carpentry work and a lot of things, but they, maybe I'll get, I won't bring in, try to get them to do electric though that's where it all falls apart. So I'll handle all the mechanicals and the really important stuff. And then I let them kind of come in. And what's awesome about that, let's say they do all those things. I make them the GC essentially. They just don't know they're the GC. They don't have the title. They're like my assistant GC. So I don't have to be there every day. So a lot of times people are like, well, I like GCs because you can abdicate, right? You can just be like, oh, I'll take the money. And let me know when it's done. Everyone's very overwhelmed with this. But if you're going to be a house flipper, like really a house flipper, there's two parts of this. One's getting deals and being an investor. The second though, you're kind of a construction person. So you got to get right. at that. If you can't run a good construction piece of this, then being a house flipper is no fun. So you spend like, I spent a year getting great at acquisitions. Well, then I've had to spend years becoming great at project management. And uh, it's been even a longer journey with that because once you have great systems for that, then I think you're, you know, I've never met anyone who's super uber successful at house flipping who's not amazing at like the construction piece of it. And the, I have a deep understanding of it. You know, it's so, so very important. And even um, today, like I'm, I'm in the, the space right now of uh, we've got 1200 units and we do a lot of turn, unit turns. We're not flipping, we're turning the units because we, we own a big portfolio. Like when do we bring that piece in house? And, and I know I've been scratching my head about it because I, but it's, a, it's that control piece again, right? Like, do you want to go control that? Do you want to like the engineer in me wants to take it apart and put it back together again? And do I need to control it or can I leave some profits on the table and work on finding the next 500 units? Don't I, you know, like I'm at that stage right now where I'm just like, growing as an entrepreneur as a leader and, and 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 a business owner to try and say well what do i want to control and what can i be happy enough to leave on the table in order to not be working 80 90 hours a week so it's it's it's, it's interesting that uh we're, we're sort of evolving at the same time but it's uh, it's cool that you've, you've figured it out and it's so so important because you do make money when you buy but you lose it under your management and and whether it be management of multifamily or management of general contractors and house flipping you will lose your you can lose your money uh in any one of those games so um so very very important mate talk to me a little bit about your ecosystem now of being an online you know trying to be a key person of influence in your space you know the podcast and, and really why did you go down that path of wanting to put your message out there and all that sort of stuff because i know a lot of people and a lot of business owners you know per what you're saying before about that guy who used to work with uh in, in the the brokerage company he was an old guy he probably never even thought about going online and say creating a podcast and interviewing people about you know the industry leaders of uh of different topics about house flipping and how to find better leads and all that sort of stuff so who taught you about that or, or, or why did you want to go and do that? Because it obviously inherently has value to your business that maybe you can't put a number on, but it, it brings people into your ecosystem that you can then maybe it's an investor or, or a seller or, or a new general contractor. So talk to me a little bit about that. So like three years ago, when I, you know, I started working with an e-myth coach who's like one, you know, one of the oldest guys out there. And he was the first person I hired. I fired many gurus over the years and my business didn't get any better. And this was the first guy I brought in that was a fixer. He came in and me and him just worked on my business, my processes, my systems, which really scratched my nerdy itch to do all this stuff. But I never had time to work in my business. I was always working on, you know, work on my business. I was always working in my business. So that was a big thing he taught me. And I started reading the e-myth and not realizing all that. The first thing we figured out though, in six months, I went from working like 70 hours a week to like 20. So now, you know, I'm used to working 70 hours a week for seven years. I'm extremely bored 
I'm like, holy crap, this doesn't even feel like I'm working. I almost felt guilty about it. And, uh, and he told me, he says, look, well, this is what we've been working for. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to do anything with the rest of your time, but he's like, the really the next level of your life, you've really have given back to, you've set yourself up very nicely and you've done the things you need to do for you. You've been very generous to your family and friend and your inner circle, but like the highest level of life is giving back to others. And you know, what charity are you into? And I realized like none. It's always been about me, right? I've just been totally focused, self-centered. And it's he said, that's cool. Like, you know, big deal. Don't feel bad about that. That's a, a journey as a man is that you got to get you right. Can't help others until you got your house together at, a, mm-hmm. at the highest level. And then you got to help your inner circle. And he's like, you're at the place now and you got time to do it. But what I'd realized, I'd never taken on any like big charities or big you know, big passions or anything. So it's like, what have you done that you've really enjoyed? And I had a few friends that I'd helped, you know, taught house flipping, kind of gave them some advice and they had some great success. And I was like, it was really rewarding. And I've always kind of wanted to like work with others. And, and honestly, it's a pretty lonely business. Like when you get into the top, there's no one to talk to. You know, you get people that always want to learn from you, but there's no like no masterminding going on. So when I started to teach, it was all about giving back. So first year, I didn't charge anything. Year two, I realized like my, I got a little butt hurt when I would like work with people a lot and they wouldn't do anything. As soon as I started saying, hey man, give me a thousand bucks, people would like take action. It's it <laughs> some money, right? So like people didn't want to like waste the money they had spent and my results skyrocketed and I started getting really amazing results for students. So um, I got in, it's always been about giving back and getting results for people. And what I found is what you said is like, it's hard to realize the money you make. It didn't even come from where you would expect like uh, investors. Cause I don't even use much private money. I just have all my money stuff taken care of. And uh, you know, I think I've gotten a few deals from my students in a couple of years, but it's not really been like worth talking about. But what really has happened is I find that I'm like at my peak performance when I'm constantly teaching and masterminding and learning from others. And one of my students comes and says, dude, I found this cabinet guy does this. And you know, we're just every day, like two times a week, I'm working with my group and we're sharing great ideas. So I think what's happened is I've watched my income double every year since I've been a coach and in my flipping business. So I don't need to get rich as a coach. I need to get rich in my flipping business, get better Mm -hmm. at that. So like taking and scaling that up and having that interaction is where I think that it's, it's quantifiable because look, it's no, no coincidence that my income has been skyrocketing since I've been giving back and sharing, you know, being like Ebenezer Scrooge in my cave, like (laughs) totally was not the most optimal way to be. And half right. the time, like last week when I got that 30K, by the way, uh, I totally would not have gotten it because the the person who made me my first offer was full price, 18-day settlement, no inspections. It's a really strong offer. And I was making like 40, 45K on it. So I was totally ready to take it. And he told me, I'm giving you 24 hours to give me a decision. But every day I teach my students, when people put you in that corner, you got to get out of it because it's not optimal. So I almost accepted it, but I just taught it to a student three hours before that. And literally because it was so fresh in my head, I didn't make that mistake. And I convinced the guy to give me five days. And literally on the fifth day, when I almost took his offer, someone brings that offer in the same price, but they had a $30,000 escalation clause. And that was how I, I literally, I would have lost 30,000 bucks. And, and you know, if it would have been a different time and I wouldn't have just told it to a student, I very likely could have made the mistakes because like all of us, we know stuff. We don't, we're not perfect as human beings. You know, right. you get caught in the heat of the moment and you just miss things. That's why we have to do a lot of self-reflection and look at, you know, analyzing our deals and our processes. So it stays at the front of our mind. Uh, so I think that's how I can quantify helping people and giving back. It's really helped me in a big way to be the best version of me. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Well, with all that being said, what is the, what's the future hold for you both professionally and personally? And I think you might've hit on a little bit with the giving back, but, but where's the next 10, where are you going the next 10 years? 
Next 10 years, I mean, I just planned this out. It's a great time to ask me that question. Uh, I've started coaching a lot and then it started to affect my business. And now I've actually made the decision to make my business priority number one. Because uh, I was last year, when I tell you I work like 15, 20 hours a week, when I went back to my coach and looked at my last six months, I was averaging three hours a week on my renovation business. And uh, that's not good enough. So that was actually causing my business to not do as well. So now I'm just trying to make sure I got priority one and I'm finding ways to like keep the balance between the two. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep coaching. I don't really need to grow the coaching thing. I work with a small group. I enjoy the small group. It's, I'm not trying to create like a $200 million coaching business. I just enjoy that. And I want to really just start taking my renovation business and making it better every year and seeing what's possible. Because there's some things that have happened in the last year that I thought weren't possible. And I had a lot of limiting beliefs that stopped me. So I want to keep working on that and refining those processes. It's where I feel I love doing that. I love building and improving processes. And they do require constant, never-ending improvement. Awesome. Yeah. And what, what about, what about personally, what are you doing on a personal level to, to, to grow? Personal level, uh, I'm, I don't miss any trainings on emotional intelligence. If they, they're having them, I'm in because, uh, I feel like that journey is like the, the, um, that's the key that unlocks everything is, you know, I'm like always my own biggest competition and the more I'm working on me, things get better. So I want to make sure I'm doing that. But personally, I want to make sure I'm traveling. Uh, I'm still working on the surfing thing. I suck at it. So, bad. <laughs> so uh, Mate, we should go surfing sometime. I'm, I'm a huge surfer. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm big into yeah. it. So where, where, where do you go surfing? Costa Rica, man. Haco Beach uh, is where I learned. It was a great place to learn. It's like probably one of the easiest beaches. The waves are perfect. And, uh, and we can surf in Ocean City, Maryland, but it's the uh, waves are kind of like, you know, hit or miss and it's not really a great place. But uh, I still suck at it awful. I mean, snowboarding has <laughs> been easier for me. So I'm learning that. So just some fun stuff, you know, go out and enjoy and do some fun stuff. Keep giving back whatever I feel like. Like having that freedom to do what I want is really what's big for me in the next 10 years. Is like yeah. knowing that if I decide I want to go to Costa Rica for a couple of weeks, I can do that. Yep. No, I think that's so important. Having you, the most valuable asset is your time and uh, creating a business in and around that, the mindset, the personal stuff that you're talking about to then create a better business, to then look at like, I just love what you said about scaling down to profit up. I think that's such an important thing. We're always taught to be like, go, 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 go. Um, but mate, I do want to be very respectful of your time. At the end of every show, I do ask my guests to give me their top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? Yes. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? For me, I get all your hard stuff done in the morning, man. I'm After lunch, it's over. So I get all the <laughs> tough stuff done in the morning, do the stuff I enjoy doing in the afternoon. Awesome. Awesome. What is the most, uh, who is the most influential person in your career today? You know, people have asked me that before. It's It depends on when you ask, but, but I would say my e-myth coach who I've spent three years with or diving into things, he's been a mentor, but he's almost been a father figure. Uh, he has just really helped me shift my beliefs. He's constantly realigning, putting me back on track. Uh, I thought I'd work with him for a year. He's kind of expensive and I'm like, I'll make the investment, but we're three and a half years in now and uh, I don't really plan on getting rid of him. He's a vital That's part awesome. of my business. That's awesome. And you mentioned a little bit about emotional intelligence before, which is such a huge thing. We don't talk a lot about, or as entrepreneurs, we don't talk a lot about, but it's such an important thing to, to be working on consistently because it's like, it's like going to the gym. You're training your, your muscles to do whatever, but you've got to work on between the years and that emotional intelligence is so, so important. Something close to my heart as well. Uh, mate, in your real estate business, you'd have, to, you'd, you'd have to have the most influential tool, whether it be a software or hardware. What is that most influential tool in your business? 
I would say right now, tool wise, I've been, look, I'm cheapskate. So I have <laughs> ran my business for the last three years really successfully off of uh, using its sell sheets. So yep. I, I mean, dude, they're awesome. And I think like, so I got into Podio, I got into all the really complex stuff and I realized it just was dragging me away from what had worked. Like we don't mm. have to make it that complex. I think simplifying things like, I mean, if you, if you have a book with a pen and it's working for you and it's really productive, like do what works, get yep. away from thinking you got to use super cool, crazy, expensive stuff that you'll spend a year developing and no one will use. So, I mean, honestly, some people are just book people, right? Like when I used to really do my best. I've got it here. I've got my, I've got my, got my to-do list on this piece of paper because I just, it's easier for me to write and then rather do as some sort of app, you know? Whatever works and is effective is like, we have to get off of that. Like you need the coolest hundred hour month CRM. If that works for you, great. But if it doesn't be open to whatever works and whatever's getting you the results. 100%. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, you're correct. I don't use a CRM tool besides, you know, online Google Sheets and I just got to know the check-in once a week with it. That's really it. And that's like, I'm not I'm not at that, I'm not that type of business that has revenue from sales. Uh, I, I, I want to check in with my investors. That's what I want to check in and that can happen, you know, once every couple of months. So very, very interesting. Um, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure to date and what did you learn from that failure? Probably biggest failure to date would be firing people too slow and, uh, and really giving people trust that they haven't earned. Mm, interesting. That's interesting. Example? So I'm a guy that, you know, someone tells me how great they are and you know, I tend to believe them until they prove me wrong. But uh, once I realize things aren't going as well, I've had employees that were just okay at best and uh, I'll work really hard with them and try to push them into success because I think everyone can win. And unfortunately, part of being great at business is learning when to fold, you know, and understanding like if they can't, because like people are really great for a job, they don't need your help. Like they almost won't want your help. You'll be in their way essentially. And when you get people that really like rely on you, then you become the bottleneck because you have all these people just taking and pulling from you. So I've gotten a lot better. And if I had to summarize, because you said one sentence, like standards, like creating higher standards and understanding like if something doesn't hit my standard, like be okay. It's okay, Mike. You're not a jerk for getting rid of it because it's bad for them too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great. It's developing standards probably in and around mission statements around what the business is, is the values of the business, the values of you to then make sure your employees are, 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 are paddling towards a North star. You know, what's that, what's that sort of North star in, in, in the future, in the horizon for the business. So I think it's really, really important. Um, mate, last question. People want to be in your sphere. They want to check you out. Where do they go? What do they do? Uh, you can find me on the flipfactor.net. Uh, that's going to be my website. And then you can send me an email at mike at the flipfactor.net. Uh, keep it real simple. So old school, right? Awesome. Keep it easy. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. Well, dude, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I do think the number one takeaway for me from today's you know, lesson for me taking uh, from the conversation was scaling down to profit up. I think that is such a huge little you know, soundbite that I hope that my, my editor is going to use it. But, uh, but also understanding where you where the bottlenecks are in the business where you can go back and take the time to look at where you were profiting and how much by just paying a little bit more attention to some of those other little things in the business like the design stuff going from a 6 to a 10 and putting in a couple of extra thousand bucks will you know double or triple the return on that and not just going at a million miles an hour to try and scale 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 and understanding that and being humble enough to admit it. I think that's really important and one of the lessons I took away from, from today's show. Uh, did, I, did I leave anything out? You did, man. That's the important stuff. 
Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Reed. Thank you, listeners. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Mike. Um, please head over to his website when you do the flipfactorpodcast.com and it'll be up on my show notes if you for any of the links from today's show. I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack. Mm-hmm.